out. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Philippians chapter 4. If you've been around the last few weeks, you know that we are looking at prayer and that my hope for myself and all of us is that God would make us a people of prayer. And so we've been looking at Christmas Acts, A-C-T-S. You can see it on our presence over here. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And as we finish up this series, we're heading into the month of January. We're simply calling it a month of prayer. And hopefully you found one of these near your chair. If you are a praying person at all, I hope that you'll grab one of these, put it inside of your Bible, right where you're maybe having your quiet times in the morning, and use this in the month of prayer to pray for Redeemer Community Church. We're asking all of our people all of our praying people to pray every day in the month of January for Redeemer and to use these prompts throughout. We'll then be coming together on the five Sunday evenings in January for prayer gatherings. And so we'll be right in here together from five to six o'clock praying. Our junior and senior high students will be with us in here praying. Our fourth and fifth graders will be in here with us praying. Our K through third will be in their classrooms. They'll be learning about prayer and practicing prayer. And then our preschool will have wonderful childcare as well. To pull those Sunday nights off, we need help, as you can imagine. And so if you're willing to serve in childcare and to teach our K through third graders about prayer on one or more of those nights, I believe you can sign up at Dot Life to do that. So daily prayer. Sunday evening prayer gatherings, and then we will close the month with a 24-hour chain of prayer. You see on the front of that brochure, A.T. Pearson, there's never been a spiritual awakening in any country or locality that did not begin in united prayer. One of the Puritans, John Flavel, said it like this, God sometimes stands upon a number of voices for the carrying of some public mercy, because he delighteth in the harmony of many praying souls. And so maybe throughout the month of January, every day, God would be pleased to hear the prayers of God's people at Redeemer. And as we come together on Sunday evenings, the harmony of many praying souls. And then we're looking forward to Awaken West Houston in the month of March. 30 days to pray and fast for multiple tens of thousands of households by name in our city. We now have 18 churches that are participating, and you'll be hearing more and more about that. May God make us a praying people who love to commune with him and who sense our sense of desperation that nothing of eternal significance can happen 
apart from the power of God at work in and through us. Apart from him, we can do nothing. And so this Christmas series, we've been simply saying, if your prayer life needs a lift, practice acts. Spend time in adoration, praising God for who he is. Spend time in confession, knowing that in Jesus Christ, as we continue to struggle with sin, our union with him is secure, but our communion with him, our intimacy with him, our fellowship with him can be disrupted, but in his grace, he has provided a way for that fellowship, that communion, that intimacy to be restored, and it is through the confession of our sins to him. To just come before him and be honest and speak the same. That's what the word means. Speak the same about our sins that God would say about them. To stop shifting blame and accept responsibility. And as the Apostle John would say, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So spend time in adoration, spend time in confession. Last week, spend time in thanksgiving. A little bit different from adoration, which is praising God for who he is. Thanksgiving is expressing appreciation for all that he does for us. And then finally, supplication. Fancy word, we are asking God to supply our needs. In Philippians chapter 4, very, very famous verse, in verse 6, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and, at least New American Standard, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Lots of things make us anxious. Whatever those things are, they, we might perceive them as needs or as desires. We need God to meet a need. We desire God to, to do something in particular. All of us have needs and desires. When those things are unmet, we can sometimes feel anxious. And God's word calls us to be anxious for nothing but in everything. And all of those things that make us anxious, that make us worry, in all of those things, Talk to God about it. And ask him to provide our needs, to meet our desires. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. I've said it before, but I think it bears repeating that sometimes the question comes to me in the midst of my worries, have you prayed about it? And maybe it's a good question for all of us to remember in light of Philippians 4 verse 6. Have you prayed about it? It's almost like we sometimes go, oh, didn't even think about that. Yeah, that would be a good thing to do, to talk to God about the things that are going on in my life. Now, I said last week that I got myself in trouble trying to come up with these cute little phrases. I'm not so sure I've done very well the last couple of weeks. 
The first week I said Christmas is a great time to adore God. That was pretty easy. Adoration. And the second week I said Christmas is an obvious time to confess our sins because Jesus came into the world to forgive us of our sins. Last week on Thanksgiving I said it's, Christmas is simply another time to thank God. We're called to thank God, to give thanks to him in all things and at all times. And so Christmas becomes just another time to give him thanks. And Tara, my wife, told me that Molly, my middle one, looked at her and said, didn't work. Well, this morning on supplication, maybe Christmas is the perfect time. to ask God to meet our needs, to request of God what we believe that we need and the things that we desire. Maybe I'm reaching there, but, but, but here's what I have in mind. You and I have needs, we have desires that in and of ourselves we cannot meet. But he can. And so as the children of God, we, we cry out to him. We, we lift our voices in prayer with supplications. It, it is a particular word in Greek that means prayer for particular benefits. We are lifting our voice and asking God to do some things for us. And the only reason we can do that is because of Christmas and all that it implies. The reason you and I can pray to God, our Heavenly Father, is because of what Jesus Christ, His Son, has come into the world to do. He came into the world some 2,000 years ago, the eternal Son of God, added to his divine nature, a human nature, in the virgin womb of his mother Mary, so that in the person of Christ, we have one who is fully God and fully man in one person forever. It's what we celebrate at Christmas. We don't often think about it like that, but it's heady stuff. It's the incarnation of the Son of God. We sing about it. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Christmas is the celebration of the incarnation of the Son of God. He took to himself humanity. Why? For us and for our salvation. So that he could live as one of us a holy and righteous and perfect sinless life that you and I could not live. And then to go to the cross to bear our sins to pay the penalty for what our sins deserve. It's Good Friday, right? And then on Sunday morning, God raised him from the dead. Pleased with all that his son had accomplished, vindicating his son, showing that everything he said about himself and everything he said he was going to do, that's who he is and that's what he did. God vindicated him by raising him from the dead. And then Jesus 
some days later ascended into heaven where he is right now, exalted to the Father's right hand. And because of all of that, because of the incarnation of the Son of God and his holy life and his substitutionary death upon the cross and his bodily resurrection from the dead and his ascension to the Father's right hand where he reigns right now, because of all of that, you and I have access to God in prayer. If he didn't do that, we have no access. But because of Christmas and Good Friday and Easter and the present session of our Savior at the Father's right hand where he himself is praying for us now, you and I can come before our Father in the name of Jesus by the power of the Spirit, and we can let our requests be made known to God. What is supplication? A simple definition is asking God for things for yourself, others, and the world. Pastor John Piper says really that, that this, this part of prayer Asking is really the essence of prayer. I want to read just a bit from him. And he's commenting on Colossians chapter 4, which calls upon you and me as the children of God to be devoted to prayer. He says this, But to ponder this, we do have to ask what pray means. Mainly it means asking God for things. By things, I don't mean objects or stuff. I mean generally whatever your heart desires or needs. And of course, what your heart needs most is God. To know him and trust him and love him and obey him. I know that we should come to God with more than asking. We should come with confessing sins and giving thanks and praise I'm glad he said that because it kind of confirms our series, right? We should come with praise, adoration, confession of sins, and giving of thanks. I know that we should come to God with more than asking. We should come confessing sins and giving thanks and praise. In a broad sense, prayer includes all that. But speaking precisely, prayer is requesting, asking. That's why in Colossians 4.2, it says, devote yourselves to prayer with thanksgiving. Thanking God should always be part of what we do in prayer, but prayer in a strict sense means requesting. So I define it as asking God for things. Let's put beside this a great historic definition of prayer. There is a story about Dwight L. Moody making a visit to Scotland in the 1800s and opening one of his talks at a local grade school with the rhetorical question, what is prayer? Now at this point in the story, I just think about myself. What would happen, and think about yourself, if I or you went over to the, one of the local elementary schools and you had the, the gym full of all the elementary kids and you asked the question, really just you know, not really expecting an answer, what is prayer? And hundreds of hands went up. 
story about Dwight L. Moody making a visit to Scotland in the 1800s, opening one of his talks at a local grade school with a rhetorical question, what is prayer? To his amazement, hundreds of children's hands went up. So he decided to call on a lad near the front who promptly stood up and said, prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God in the name of Christ, by the help of his spirit, with the confession of our sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. This is the answer to question 98 in the Westminster Catechism. To this, Moody responded by saying, be thankful, son, that you were born in Scotland. Right? That's where the Westminster Confession of Faith and the Westminster Catechism came from. And back in those days, sadly not in our day, kids learned the Westminster Catechism. And so you could ask a hundred kids, what is prayer? And they'd all raise their hand and give you the answer. Piper goes on, be sure to notice the main thing. Prayer is an offering up of our desires unto God. That's the main meaning of prayer. With confession of sins and with thankful acknowledgement of his mercies, go along with these expressed desires. But the essence of prayer is the expression of our dependence on God through requests. Supplication, asking of God, requesting of God, petitioning God, as we said, involves prayers for ourselves and for others. And often we call that prayer for others intercession. We are interceding with God for someone else. You think about Paul. We often find him in the New Testament saying things like this in Ephesians 3. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name, that he would grant you. It's in Ephesians chapter 3. It's Paul praying for those Ephesian believers, and he goes on to tell us what he prays for. In Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, he says, And this I pray, and goes on to tell us what he is praying for those Philippian believers. Colossians 1, 9, We have not ceased to pray for you. And to ask that, he goes on to tell them what he's been praying for them. 2 Timothy 1, As I constantly remember you, Timothy, in my prayers. And so as we think about supplication, it's not only asking God to supply our needs, but it's also asking God to supply the needs of others. Paul asked for this kind of prayer in 2 Thessalonians 3. Finally, brethren, pray for us. Romans 15, now I urge you, brethren, by our Lord Jesus Christ, by the love of the Spirit, Strive together with me in your prayers to God for me. Ephesians 6, with all prayer and petition, pray at all times in the Spirit and pray on my behalf. Colossians 4, 2, devote yourselves to prayer, praying at the same time for us as well. And so again, an important part of supplication is prayers for others.
told you a few weeks ago about Paul Miller's book, A Praying Life. It's a good little book. And, and the, the practical tool that, that he encourages people to use in prayer is, are three by five cards. And what he'll do is he'll have a three by five card and he'll put one of his children's name right in the middle of it. And then around it, um, not even so neatly, but just however he wants to do it, he'll put five or six little prayer prompts for that child. And he's got a card for each one of his children. He's got a card for his wife. He's got a card for his community group at church. He puts community group in the middle and then the names of all the people in his community group. He's got a name for a card for his friends that don't know Christ and he's praying for them. He's interceding on the behalf of his children, for his wife, for his friends at church, for his friends and neighbors that don't know Jesus. He's interceding. Now, if you weren't listening closely over the last few weeks, you may think, because I've, I've thought, Mitch, is that what you're saying? You may have heard me there's a great word, poo on supplication, right? I can kind of talk, talk it down if I'm not careful. Gimme, 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 help me, help me, help me, right? But that's oftentimes what our prayer lives look like. Dear Lord, gimme, 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 help me, help me, help me. And, but I think had, if you and I were listening closer to me, I've simply been encouraging us to slow down and before we get to gimme, 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 help me, help me, help me, spend some time in adoration. Spend some time in confession. Spend some time in thanksgiving and then spend some time in supplication. Because we have every reason to confidently ask God for our needs and for our desires. Jesus in Matthew 7, ask. It'll be given to you, seek, and you will find, knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, he who seeks finds, to him who knocks it will be opened. What man is there among you who when his son asks for a loaf will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will he, not, he won't give him a snake, will he? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your, will your heavenly Father, who is in heaven, give what is good to those who ask him? In Luke 18, Jesus was telling them a parable to show that at all times they ought to pray and not to lose heart, saying, in a certain city there was a judge who did not fear God and did not respect man. There was a widow in that city. She kept coming to him, saying, Give me legal protection from my opponent. For a while he was unwilling, but afterward he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow bothers me, I will give her legal protection. Otherwise, by continually coming, she will wear me out. Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge said. Now will not God bring about justice for his elect who cry to him day and night? And will he delay long over them? 
I tell you that he will bring about justice for them quickly. She kept coming. She bothered him. She continually came saying, give me. John 14. Whatever you ask in my name, Jesus said, that I will do. So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. In John 15, 7, if you abide in me, my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you would go and bear fruit and that your fruit would remain so that whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he may give you. And in chapter 16, in that day, you will not question me about anything. Truly, I say to you, if you ask the Father for anything in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked for nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive so that your joy may be made full. Now, I will disappoint you as I maybe disappoint myself. I don't know exactly how to put together some of what Jesus says here. We do have these controlling elements in the New Testament of asking in Jesus' name, abiding in Jesus and his words, abiding in us, in 1 John, that our prayers are according to the will of God. So I'm not exactly sure what to make of these seeming statements about Jesus. Ask and you'll get it. But I do believe as I sit back from these verses, Jesus is inviting you and me to ask. In his name, knowing, as we talked about earlier, the very, very reason that you and I have access to God the Father at all is because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us. And so we ask in his name, Father, I, I, I'm, I'm coming to you in the name of Jesus, my Savior, the one who came and lived and died and rose and who is alive and who is your son at your right hand. I'm coming in his name. I'm not coming in my name. Because my name stinks. I'm coming in his name. He's my access. And I'm abiding in Christ. Right? John 15. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you will and I will give it to you. Right? As we abide in Christ, we are resting in Christ and presumably we are loving Christ and his word is abiding in us. The words of Jesus and his apostles are abiding in us. They're shaping us from the inside out so that our desires more and more look like the desires of Jesus Christ. That kind of thing shapes the sorts of things we pray. Our love for Christ and, and all of his word that abides in us and changes us and shapes us and molds our desires that's coming through and again first john praying according to the will of god god doesn't answer prayers that aren't according to his will but again there's all this seeming expectation from jesus to you and me ask 
How do I put together the sovereignty of God and, and the prayers of his people? I don't know, but Jesus said, ask. Paul, who believed in the sovereignty of God more than anybody, was a man who prayed. Philippians 4, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Pray about it. James 4, you do not have because you don't ask. So, supplication. Give me, give me, give me. Help me, help me, help me. Totally biblical. Totally legit. So I'm not pooing on it. I'm just saying maybe we, let's adore God. Let's confess our sins. Let's give him thanks. And then let's say, God, I need you. Help. What to pray for? Just read briefly from Keller. He speaks so generally here, but it's just good. Tim Keller, there are ordinary prayers for our, for our own needs and those of others. Praying for our daily bread ourselves, right? That's, that's coming from the Lord's Prayer, as Jesus models for us prayer, and here he is modeling supplication. Give us this day our daily bread. Praying for our daily bread for ourselves should cover the full range of what we need spiritually, emotionally, and materially. It means praying for freedom from our besetting sins and temptation for clarity and energy to do our daily work well, for protection from injuries and sickness, for the financial means to support ourselves and our family. It includes asking above all for communion and fellowship with God. Prayer for others and for the world has been called intercessory prayer. This includes the needs of family members and friends as well as opponents and even enemies. Be sure to remember to pray for individuals you meet during the day who are suffering or in difficulty. There are many places in the Bible that encourage prayer for the sick. It means praying for faith for those around you who don't know Christ, and especially for those who seem to be searching spiritually. It also means prayers in general for both the church and the world. For the church, pray for its vitality and protection and faithfulness. For the world, pray for peace rather than war and strife, for prosperity rather than poverty and hunger, for freedom rather than tyranny and slavery, for the virtue of leaders and the health of societies. So in other words, pray about everything. In any and everything. Pray about it. J.I. Packer gives a few instructions, maybe, or hopes for you and me when it comes to the things that we ask God for. Three of them. The first is this. And, and I like this, lay before God the reasons why we think that what we ask for is the best thing. Quote, argue with God. Not in the sense that you're 
arguing with him, but that you're laying out your arguments for your request. Tell him why it seems best, based on what we know of God and his goals, as we consider what delights and grieves him, as we think about how salvation works and what he wants in the world. So Packer is saying, as, as you and I pray and as we ask for things, tell God as best we can why we think he ought to answer it. Give him good reasons why. And I thought how I was maybe doing just a little bit of this over the last couple weeks. Some of you all know that I love Tim Kazee. Um, Tim came a couple years ago and spoke at our missions conference. He runs Frontline Ministries, Inter Missions International. He's the executive director who they send and support missionaries that go to some of the hardest places in the world to share the gospel. He is one of the most, I, I don't read a whole lot, but I love when Tim Kazee writes. Um, his, front one, his first one, uh, Dispatches from the Front, and then his last one about something good. <laughs> Tim has cancer, and his is pretty rough. He's going through a, a, a stem cell transplant right now. And I'm praying for Tim. And I find myself not just, Lord, I just want to lift up Tim Kazee to you and ask for your grace in his life and that you would heal him of his cancer and, and, and give him faith and to his wife, Debbie, give them faith to trust you in the midst of it, to persevere. No, I'm also laying out reasons why he ought to. Lord, Tim's got his wife, Debbie, and he's got his children, and he's got his grandchildren. And his grandchildren need to know him. And they need to grow up knowing their granddaddy because he's something special. So don't take him yet. And Lord, he runs Frontline Missions International. You know, they they send missionaries and support missionaries in some really hard spots. And all those missionaries need Tim. And Lord, nobody writes like Tim writes. And nobody tells the stories of your missionaries on the front lines like Tim does. Company of Heroes, that's his other one. So Dispatches from the Front and a Company of Heroes. And both of those books are stories from the front lines. Men and women on the front lines of taking the gospel to some of the hardest places in the world, and Tim tells their stories in his books. Lord, if Tim's not doing that, who else is going to do it? So please, Lord, may his stem cell transplant be the, be the greatest one in the history of medicine. Keep him around. Right, So we, we don't just ask God for things, but we argue with him. We tell him our reasons why from our perspective, and we bring our theology to it and what we know of God's ways in the word, and we, we say, God, best I can tell, here's the reasons why you ought to do this. 
Secondly, explicitly tell God, quote, that if he wills something different, then we are asking. We know it will be better and that it is, rather than the best that we could think of, that which we really want him to do. So not only do we make our request to God and give him our best reasons why he ought to answer it, but then to tell him, Lord, if you will something different, I trust you. You know so much more than I know. Your ways are perfect. And so if you will to do something different here, I trust you. Tim Keller says along these lines, God will either give us what we ask or give us what we would have asked if we knew everything he knew. Isn't that good? When you and I pray about something, God God will either give us what we ask or he will give us what we would have asked if we knew everything that he knows. We don't know everything that he knows. And so we make our request and we argue our case. And then we say, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. If you choose to do something different here, Lord, I, I believe and I trust that it'll be the very best thing. And then third, Packer said, we must ask ourselves what we ourselves might need to do to implement answers to our prayers. That's pretty good too. You get to praying about things. You've heard the old expression, um, don't pray for a ditch while leaning on a shovel, right? Lord, I sure am praying for a ditch. And I really could use a ditch. And let me give you 14 reasons why you giving me a ditch would be a really good thing. Right? All the while you're leaning on your shovel. As we're praying for things, even making our arguments to God as to why we're asking for what we are asking, expressing to him our willingness to trust him if he wants to do something different, the same time saying, Lord, is there anything that I could do? Is there anything you're asking me to do in this particular situation to be a part of the answer? Well, that's enough. Let's wrap it up. Maybe if your prayer life needs a lift, maybe get up a little bit earlier in the morning. Grab your coffee or whatever it is that you enjoy. Slow down. And by that I mean don't just, give me, give me, give me, help me, help me, help me. But this whole series has been about a reviving of a personal prayer life, a prayer life that needs a lift. Adoration, confession, thanksgiving, supplication. Spend time adoring God for who he is. And folks, he is worthy of adoration and praise. He is worthy of every good thought we can imagine of him and every expression of adoration and praise that we can muster. He's worthy of it.
Spend time in confession. Just coming before God and being honest about the words that you said or the thoughts that you had or the thing that you did. Give him thanks for all of the wonderful things that he has done in our salvation, but even in everything, give thanks. Lord, thanks for a good night of sleep last night. Thanks for a hot cup of coffee. Sure is good. Thanks for the, the Bible that I get to enjoy this morning. Thanks for the beautiful Christmas tree. Thanks for the cooler weather. Thanks for the friends that I'm going to see this morning at church. Thank you for Mark and the team, the worship, and all those folks that work in the back. Thanks for the folks who serve in our kids' ministry. Thanks for all of our kids. Thanks, 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 thanks. Right? Just, God's just overflowing towards you and towards me with good things that we just take them all for granted. Slow down. Worship him. Confess your sins. Give him thanks. And then ask for yourself, for your friends and family, for the world. Ask, request, petition, importune, right? Remember that? We defined that one a few weeks ago. That's ask in such a way that you wear somebody out. Beg. Lord, Give me holiness. Give me boldness. Give me souls. Give me love. Give me faith. Give me the good stuff so that I can be used by you in the great gospel enterprise. Don't let me waste my life. Don't let me waste my best years. Don't let me waste my last years. Don't let me waste any years. Lord, I want to bear fruit. I want to bear much fruit. I want to win souls. I want to disciple souls. I want to die with disciples and their disciples surrounding my casket. Pray for stuff like that, right? What are we supposed to be doing? Walking with Christ in holiness, living with boldness, sharing the gospel, making disciples who make disciples, and then dying. That's what we're supposed to do. Unless Jesus comes, right? Even death is on our calendar. Pray, pray, pray. Ask him, request of him. For yourself, for others, for our church, and for the world. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what a gift it is to pray, to come in the quietness of our soul, or even in the loudness of our song. Or somewhere in between. What a privilege to come and to have communion with you through prayer, to talk to you. Teach us to pray. Draw us into a relationship with you that just brings joy to our soul down deep because we just sit with our Heavenly Father and enjoy Him. As we nourish our souls upon His Word, as we praise Him, 
as we confess our sins to him, as we give him thanks, as we ask him of great things, might we just enjoy the delight that it is to be with our God. And oh God, would you work it into my soul ever so deeply that apart from you, I can do nothing. Apart from Jesus Christ and the power of his spirit, all the stuff we do around here is for naught unless you are energizing it. So teach us to pray. To pray for the kids that we're ministering to or the students or the adults. To to pray. And oh God, would you hear our prayers? And would you bear much fruit? Fruits of the Spirit in each of our lives that we might become more like Jesus. We would be men and women, boys and girls of love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and kindness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. All those wonderful, beautiful, lovely things would be true more and more so of all of us. And then, Lord, that you would bear much ministry fruit through us in evangelizing people far from God and helping believers to grow in their faith and encouraging and comforting and counseling and and all the rest. May um, May we be about our Father's business and might it be very, very fruitful. And Lord, while we're at it, I lift up Tim Kazee as he continues through his treatments. Pray for his healing in many, 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 many more years um, with his family, with his friends, and with us all. Thank you for Christmas. May this week be filled with joy as family comes to town as we sit, as we visit, as we laugh, as we sing. Lord, may the light of Christ shine through each and every one of us in all of those relationships. We'll pray all of this in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.